0: Well, good afternoon. Chris, how are you? Hey, guys. Thank you very much. (laughs) Chris, you anticipate my every need. Thank you. I hope uh, you're... Hey, hey, how are you? There's Warren. Hello, Warren. Adam the Machinist. Welcome aboard, sir. Hey, Adam, do you want to... uh, are you on the road? Can you guess? Uh, can you guess today? No pressure, no pressure. Well, welcome. Uh, busy, busy morning in the shop, but I got everything done that I wanted to get done, and I might take the rest of the day off, and just chill out. We shall see. The Okamoto grinder has been, uh, you can pop in. Okay, we'll bring you in in the second half, whatever that means. I don't know what that means, but in a bit. (laughs) The Okamoto has been earning its keep this week, Um, doing a great job. And my day job has been keeping me busy too, so it's been a crazy week. Welcome. Welcome. So uh, this morning, well yesterday, I finished up uh, six sets of six-inch stones that came out glorious. Hey Bart, welcome aboard. Dan, welcome aboard. So the six-inch stones are in stock and I got to get some shipments out tomorrow when the post office opens. And then this morning I just had to finish up um, four inch stones and they went beautifully so they're all done went downstairs lasered them up and got them packaged up and ready to go so there's only one size of PFG stones right now that I do not have in stock so naturally <laughs> I should get an order any minute now for four inch round stones and uh So here's a question for the, for the hive mind. Uh, the four inch rounds in silicon carbide are not very popular and they really ought to be because people are using them out of the box as table stones and vice stones. And I've checked them and they're, they're not great. So, uh, I may be doing some sort of a promotion or something on the four inch round silicon carbides. If anybody has any ideas about, about that, I'd be happy to hear your opinion. Your opinion counts. Um, and, uh, we'll see, we'll see what happens in other news. Uh, I just got off the phone with my artistic advisor uh, not the phone, you know what I mean, but the, uh, the FaceTime and we're going to have new t-shirts, uh, available probably by the end of the day. It's, uh, the artwork is going to be pretty much the same as the old t-shirts, but it's a heavier fabric. Um, I like the heavier t-shirts, so we're going to have the lightweight t-shirts and the heavyweight t-shirts and they should be ready by the end of the day. We'll see what happens. But uh, I'm excited about that because I need a couple. So we'll let you know how that goes. Um, so that's the, that's the new t-shirt uh, thing. Um, there'll be a slight change in t-shirt prices. Uh, but nothing drastic. Uh, we're going to take a small, small markup on them. Because that's not where we make our money. So, T-shirts are coming. That was the first bit of news. Um, I have not made any significant progress on beveled stones. And I know there's demand out there. I get emails pretty regularly. Uh, Getting there. I need a little time to get the programming sorted out. I think I've got the work holding sorted out. So, it's kind of in stasis right now. But we're going to get there pretty soon. Um, it is a it is a whole new setup, a whole new process, and we got to figure out how to how to price it. I'm not sure how to price it yet. Welcome aboard, everyone. So uh, I just wanted to give you a quick Bevel update, which is to say, there's no update. Uh, let's see. So we had a discussion um, earlier about solar panels. And, um, I wanted to talk to you guys about a little bit about solar panels. One of our, one of our crew and and I were texting and talking about solar panels a little bit. And as you know, I've got solar panels, uh, up top. And in fact, today is going to be probably a record setting day for the season, at least, uh, for solar energy because it's very cold out which is good for solar panels and it's very sunny out which is good for solar panels Um, and the sun angle is coming up so we're gonna have a really good solar production day Um, but one of the questions that came up was about should I put in storage, basically batteries in a, in a solar panel system. And when we looked at and designed our system, uh, that was a major economic driver because it's, it's, it was expensive to put in the batteries. Uh, and it turns out that the return on investment is, is poor in, in my situation. So I know there parts of the country where when you're buying power from the grid, Hey Spencer, Tool and Grind. Uh, hey Barker. Um, it, it, in some parts of the country, you pay a different rate on electricity at different times of the day. So having storage uh, on a solar electric system is very valuable because you know you could store energy during the day, use it at night when when the rates go up. In other words, they don't want you using energy at peak times, they want you using energy at off-peak times. But around here, that's not the case. So there's little incentive to do that. The other thing was um, the advantage of having batteries for uh, backup when you lose the mains. So if we lost power, uh, we could basically be a giant UPS for the house. Well, we have a generator, and when we look at the statistics of how often that we need our generator, it's just not worth it. So Warren Warren uh, correctly points out that he has a friend who is off grid and batteries are a must. Absolutely, that's another very good case uh, where you have to have batteries is if you're if you're completely off the grid. So for my application um the heat just came on if if it got noisy i I actually shut down the grinder so it's a little quieter uh, mostly from fans right so in my situation i decided it wasn't worth it and we don't have batteries we're a grid tied system so we make it it's it's kind of a joke around here when the sun's up we try to do things that use a lot of electricity because now we're getting the best bang for our buck the other thing you should know about solar systems is that when you make solar uh, grid tide systems, is that when you make energy and push it onto the grid, you get credited for that energy at wholesale, but when you pull energy in from the grid, you pay for it at retail. <laughs> so it really is worth using the energy you generate when you're generating it, and there's a little benefit to that. So that's the that's sort of the funny thing I come out and, and make stones when the sun shines as the old saying goes so that was our calculation now your your calculation might be different you know if you live in I think California has has some areas that have different rates of electricity for different times of day and you got the fancier metering systems you may have justification for putting batteries in and the batteries are wear items. They don't last forever. So and you can make the argument that that the solar panels also don't last forever. But anyway, those are the economics of it. And you really have to do the spreadsheet and take a look at it. Now, we use a company here that, that we bought our, our system from called uh, Revision Energy. Revision Energy. And they're fantastic. We really like them. Uh, so we bought everything. Uh, they did all the calculations and simulations about how much energy we would make, and it, the numbers have been dead on—really, really good. We took down, I think we took down eight trees on their recommendation, specific trees after they surveyed our site, and that was also just awesome. So, if you have the opportunity to put in solar electric, do it. I believe it's the it's the way that every single house in the future is going to be built. Uh, Just like you ask what kind of shingles are you going to put up today, somebody's going to, you know, ask what kind of solar panels are you putting up. It's not going to be if, it's going to be what kind. So a little bit of commentary on the solar electric situation uh, that came out of a conversation from earlier this week. And if anybody has any questions about that, I'd be happy to to answer it. But uh, we're on track for paying back our system costs and uh, right on schedule, which I think was eight years, and we're well down that road. So anyway, that's the story. Um, in other news, uh, I have made some, oh, here's Conjet. Hey Conjet, if you have any like specific announcements about the t-shirts, let me know, but otherwise I, I've already told everybody that the new t-shirts are coming. And that they'll probably be ready by the end of the day, thereabouts. So there's some there's some uh, keyboard jockeying that has to be done before they're live on the store, and we'll put up a post. So uh, so Conjad, if I need to say anything else, you let me know. Um. So the guys that are just joining us, we're just we're getting a slug of people coming in. Uh, we just had a little discussion about solar energy solar electric that you might have missed. Yeah. Yeah, they do, don't they? Yeah, Conjet says she's working on the new teas right now. Uh, let's see. Gear World Technology, welcome aboard. So, uh, yeah, if you just joined us, we, you missed the solar electric discussion a little bit, not much of a discussion, kind of a expose uh, but we are generating a lot of solar right now Uh, so in other news uh, in kinetic precision news uh, i've been working a little bit more on the balancing stand design that's coming along Uh, and in order to do more research on how i'm going to teach balancing which is going to be a little bit unconventional I, uh, I bought myself the Okamoto balancing stand. So the funny thing was, is when I, when I bought my grinder, I had the opportunity to buy the, the balancing stand. So the cost of the balancing stand at the time I ordered the grinder was about $2,000. It was pretty expensive. So I elected not to buy the Okamoto balancing stand at the time because I had my own balancing stand and I had my own balancing rings and I had my whole balancing procedure. But now that I wanna teach teach balancing and sell my balancing stand, I decided I would get an Okamoto balancing stand in order to show another method. So the plan is, is that I'm gonna be able to show the method on my balancing stand and on the Okamoto balancing stand uh, using my balancing rings and not using my balancing rings because there's there, uh, one of my wheels, which came with the grinder, has, has the three balancing weights built into the hub. So I'll be able to show that. So we'll have a nice matrix of, of different equipment, uh, including the stuff I sell. Uh, and how to balance with it. So that's coming. So let me, I'm going to take you mobile right now and let's go over to the, uh, it's actually on the granite surface plate and I'll show you the new Okamoto balancing stand. So I'm going to unplug you and take you for a walk. Okay. So here we're at the, we're at the, uh, the nicely covered up, granite surface plate. And this is the um, Okamoto balancing stand that I just bought. And I just got this on eBay for about uh, $775, I think. Um, I think that was before shipping. And it's it's a really beautiful unit, and I really dig how it works and what its philosophy is. Uh, of course, here's the prototype for the kinetic precision uh, balancing stand, which is uh, Going to be a little different than you see, but the the basic structure the basic uh, philosophy uh is the same so uh the okamoto balancing stand is is actually pretty cool uh it 's three points of contact there 's a there 's a foot in the back and then two adjustable feet in the front okay and then very interestingly there 's a there 's a spirit level <laughs> and the spirit level. It's a bubble level, and it, it has this really cool little cover just to protect it when, when, you're, not, when you're not using it to, to level the machine. So that's pretty cool. The way it works, there's a little stop here. You pull out the pin. This is actually a balance. Okay, this is a scale, essentially. So you have a pivot point, and the pivot points... Hey, almost machining. Uh, the pivot points are right there, okay? And those are, you know, very hard, very precisely turned uh, pivots, and it's a V groove with a, uh, a a smaller angle V in it. And I'm sure there's some little details in there that I'm not capturing. Um and then there's a weight here. This weight compensates for all of the weight of this frame that's below the pivot point. So this is actually the sensitivity setting for the system. I won't get into that right now, it's kinda, it's kinda deep. And then there's a lo- nice long pointer, and then it comes down to the, the Okamoto uh, logo. But the, the pointer is the balancing indication um, and the only thing this thing is missing is a damper. Um, can you use the Anderson wheel type balancing stand to balance the wheels? Uh, I don't know if I'm familiar with the Anderson wheel type balancing stands. So, is that the one with the is that the one with the two? Large uh, wheels on each side, I think it is. Is that the one, Warren? Um, I'll wait for your answer, then we'll keep on going. Um, on, on, on this side, there's a fixed a fixed course adjustment weight. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll talk about that in a second, Warren. I have a, I have a comment on that. So there's, there's a coarse adjustment weight on one end, and then there's a fine adjustment weight on the other end. Uh, and it is really fine, I'll tell you that. So it's, it's a, and then there's a, there's the there's a locking pin so that w- when you're kind of getting things sorted out, uh, you can get it so that things aren't flopping around. The next feature on this is you have a, an arbor, okay? This is an arbor that I made because uh, it came with an arbor for the big wheels. This is the Okamoto arbor it came with, and I I needed one for the small wheels, so I made this. Uh, there's a lot to talk about on Arbor making, but I'm not going to get into that now. And it sits in these grooves, okay? So I'm just reading what Almost Machining sent, and I'm trying to process it while I'm talking, and I can't quite process all of it. Anyway, so... The way it works is you put your wheel in and then it literally gives you just a balance, like which side of the wheel is out of balance. Anyway, we're gonna go into that, but it's a totally different philosophy of how to balance the wheel. It's quite nice, Um, it's a a nice system and it's beautiful castings and it's a a lovely design. It's also very expensive. Um, And as you know, as you've probably seen me do before, uh, this system is a rolling balancer, right? So the wheel balances, and then you get information from the rolling of the wheel that tells you tells you where the out of balance condition is. And then in either case, you have to do something about it, which is to use either uh, the kinetic precision balancing ring or the weights built into the hub. But anyway, I, the, the purpose of this is just to show you this pretty cool balancer. Um, so my plan is to uh, produce a video which is going to show this this balancer that balancer and and maybe we'll have a third party but I think that's sufficiently complicated uh, to get the job done now um, so Warren asked the question uh, can you use the so-called Anderson style uh, balancing? Uh, jigs so the the anderson style is uh, it looks like correct me if i'm wrong warren it's like an a frame and an a frame and at the top of each a frame is a big disc two big discs next next to each other and they kind of form a little groove between the two discs and they're on really good bearings and that's on each side and you put your arbor across those things and the wheel doesn't move it just is able to spin and that's used to balance a lot of things like uh I think they call it, there's a generic name for it. But if you'll notice on my balancing stand, you see those holes right there? Yeah, okay, Warren. Warren says I got it right. Well, my original design uh, basically was was that. It was the two bearings. I started there, right? So I've been through that generation. The problem with that is the bearings are super special in order to get it to work well. So, um, I'm taking a different approach for a cost, from a cost perspective. But surprisingly, I'm getting more sensitivity out of this balancer than I am out of this balancer. That's very interesting. Okay, and we'll we'll get into that later as um, the design gets finished and I start basically teaching the, how to use this this guy. There's some non-obvious ways of using this balancer that really improve the uh, ability to balance. So uh, can you use that? Yes. The sensitivity, especially for smaller wheels, the sensitivity is maybe not quite as good. But yes, you can use it. And if you have 12-inch wheels, uh, that's probably a good way to do it. This guy will do the big wheels um, and and that's what it's for. For us small shop guys that are doing eight-inch wheels, this will do 8-inch wheels all day long. So um, that's the story about uh, my recent purchase on this Okamoto balancer and what's coming uh, as far as the balancing stands are concerned. No, thank you, Warren. Thanks for uh, filling me in. So uh, there you go. Uh, any, if you guys have any questions on balancing, we could probably address that. But that's the, ba- that's the news in balancing today. And uh, just to clarify, if you're, if you're new, um, the balancing stand that you saw with the KP logo on it is the prototype for the balancing stand, which I'll be offering for sale um, soon in the KP store. And it goes with the uh, currently available uh, balancing rings, which are in the, in the store. These are called the B200 balancing rings and these are designed to go on the Sopgo hubs but maybe may fit other hubs. So for example, you know there's there's a Sopco hub and the, the uh, kinetic precision balancing ring goes on this little this little boss here. So this is on the type 0100, 0200 and 0300 Sopgo uh, hubs which is an extremely common uh, hub so if, if you check the website it gives you all the details to figure out if this fits um, your your, uh, your grinder. Um, but what I found in the development of the balancing ring and the balancer is that there's the, the method of how you balance is probably the most important thing that I'm going to be bringing to the table and I'm, I'm still formulating how to how to organize that and how to teach it. Flood City Tooling says, how can I order more hubs do I need to call them? You're talking about this is a hub. They call it an adapter. I call it a hub. That's an adapter. That's a balancing ring. Are you talking about these guys? Um, I think you are. I'm waiting for your answer. <laughs> so the uh, the hubs or the adapters uh, are available for McMaster Car. Um, I think I think I just bought a brand... Not I think. I did just buy a brandy-dandy new one from McMaster Car. I'll show it to you. Where'd it go? There it is. So, yeah, there's the box. It's a Sopgo. Um, and if you do a search on McMaster Car... Oh, you mean you looked at the Sopgo site? Yeah, don't go to the SOPCO site. Go to, go to McMaster Car and just type in um, grinding wheel adapters. And you'll you'll find it. Uh, and it if you can't find it, I'll I'll get you the uh, I'll get you the part numbers. I should probably put that on the website. Thank you. I'm gonna take that as homework. Um, the hub part numbers to the KP site. I'll put that on a PFG uh, on rin.gg on the ring uh balancing ring info page how's that will that help you yeah they're on mcmaster okay so this is an 0100 this is a little uh i don't want to take it out of the plastic because it's all covered in goo but this is a little longer see how you see a little tiny difference there it's a little longer for the fatter wheels because I got some one in uh, some three-quarter inch wheels and this is the 0200 which is good for the um, th- uh, half to three-quarter and then there's an 0300 which is for the really skinny wheels so there's three different sizes of these um, but again I buy them from McMaster car and they're awesome so I uh, we will put the hub, the actual SOPCO part numbers and the McMaster part, car, McMaster car part numbers, on the product info page for the balancing rings. And I do have some new balancing ring ideas, but they're lower priority right now, so they will come later. Okay, um, so that's the story. That's an update on balancing. And I have to, I have to tell you, the the procedure that I've been using has been if I'm putting a new wheel on the grinder as it comes out of the drawer, I mean, literally, right? I did, I did this one yesterday as it comes out of the drawer, it goes right on the balancing stand. First thing, it gets balanced. Um, then it goes on the machine, it gets trued and then it gets used. So every time, and I've been extremely happy with the results. So, if it's fast and easy, you'll do it. If it's long and complicated, you won't do it. So my goal here is to teach a method and and make available the equipment so that balancing is fast and easy, and you do it every time before you put it on the machine, and the result in your work is beautiful. And I made a point last week, which I'll reiterate, which is if you don't own PFG stones, you can't You know, and you're not stoning your work. You're probably, like, thinking, oh, I, you know, it's fine. It looks great. But as soon as you start using the stones and you start seeing uh, wheel hop, uh, you start getting very uh, tuned in to the issues of balancing. And, you know, if you're sharpening an axe, who cares? But if you're doing precision work, it's good to get the most out of it. Okay. Speaking of precision work... Hey, Adam, uh, let me know if you're, if you're ready, because I'll bring you in. Um, just a, just a heads-up, a program note, next week, next Sunday, same bat time, same bat channel, uh, Marv Groh, Marvin Grobe of, of Karen, is going to join us, uh, and he's a super cool guy, and I think you'll enjoy it. But today... We have the, uh, hey, John, welcome aboard, neighbor. Oh, thank you. Well, hello to you, sir. I hope you're having an awesome day. The sun is shining. So uh, Adam the Machinist is going to join us, and as usual, uh, we don't know where this is going to go, so let's just do it. So stand by, Adam. Oh, uh, you have to request. You have to do. You have to request to to join the live. There's a button there, and then once you request it, I can approve you. So, in case you're wondering why why I always double check and ask twice before doing this, is because uh, we once had we once approved somebody to join the to join as a guest, and they weren't ready to be a guest, and it was. And, we, and I didn't know how to get rid of him, and it was uncomfortable. Uh, okay, here we go. Did that work? Hey, there he is. Welcome aboard, Adam. How are you?
1: Hey, Spencer, how's it going? I'm doing well. Uh, Internet issue. <laughs> you know, you do what well. you got to do.
0: Well... It's nice to see well, your face. I, obviously, you're uh, you're in the shop making money.
1: I'm <laughs> uh, trying, trying. I uh, yesterday I finished up a large order and I was going to ship it out Monday. I was pretty excited about that. Uh, and then this morning, in my inbox, was a revision request for three of the <laughs> seventeen parts in that order. So trying to modify, but everything's in a hard. So uh, lots of cool. hard milling so this morning. So you're in the
0: mill. Uh, can you show? Can you swing your camera?
1: Yeah, I'll I'll jump over hmm. to the grinder later today. It's going to be uh, chaotic.
0: <laughs> Isn't it always the way? How do they know? How do they know you're about to take it to the uh, to the shipper? Uh, just
1: that's my luck. Um, uh, always goes that way on these projects. I uh, uh, I don't know how to. Work there
0: you go. Oh, look at that. Um, just had to put
1: three M5s and then cut this entire section out of a A2 plate. It's actually too tall for the Mori Seiki, mm-hmm. which is a superior hard milling machine, so I had to do it in the hot. And so, how, how, how hard is tools.
0: that A2? Uh,
1: that parts 56 Rockwell, so that's not too bad. Um,. Right. And then the other part is actually P20, which is like a 4140 prehard. pre-hard, and I'm just going to have to put like a little slot in the top. And then this one, that's for a different project, but I'm going to hard cut it today as well at the motor mount. Uh, yeah. These are also P20, and they're going to get some, some finished mill work up here.
0: Beautiful, beautiful parts, Adam, as always. I did a little, I did a little bit of hard turning. Uh, no, well, no. not too hard. It was like like forty one forty pre hard uh, yesterday, and uh, and that went pretty well. I'm actually pretty amazed that you can turn the um, the fifty the Rockwell C fifty six parts.
1: Uh. Well remember I do up to ninety Rockwell, so so that's that's not too bad for me. Uh, went over the right. So
0: uh, one of these days you're gonna have to give us a little tutorial on, on hard milling because that's just amazing. I know you have a magic machine which is a stiff little bugger. Um, I do my but
1: it's all just milling. I've stopped distinguishing between hard and soft, it's just milling. Different, different hardness that's all um, you know nothing magical about hard milling you just have to be a little is more it correct cautious.
0: to say that you never use coolant or uh, when you're hard when you're milling a harder material
1: no generally you don't um you saw some thermal shocking on the tool um uh, and what some people do is they'll mist air oil, and so you get little oil droplets, which give you some lubricity, uh, lubricity and a gentle cooling effect, uh, but you don't get that thermal shocking on the coating of the tool, which leads to premature failure. But um, yeah, no, it's, it's almost all dry. Plus, i it, it's uh, lost sparks, and I run oil, so to run my version of it's it's a, little, the, uh, a, little a little
0: combustible. combustible. I don't think I ever used the word a little in front of the word combustible.
1: Yeah, so so I do that drive, which means the air compressor runs relentlessly. and uh, Yeah,
0: yeah what, what do you do for compressed air right now?
1: Oh, okay. I have yeah. a Kaser air tower. But it is I mean when you have a 380 square foot shop you really don't have anywhere yep. to hide from it. So you know it's in the corner right next to the hose and uh yeah you just have to uh, put my up to my all day.
0: Kaser is the little Kaser and it's down in the basement of the house. So it's not in here but it is in there so Air compressor but hey so we have a like question that came in for you around that it, it says Adam how much of the percentage sure. in ability to mill such a hard material would you give to the machine properties slash construction versus tooling used so to say it another way is what's the most important factor in being able to do the milling of hard materials
1: The, the toolpath. I've used some pretty, what most people would consider non appropriate end mills for hard milling, like um, just a, a standard bull nose cutter. You can actually get away with hard milling with um, if you program and have an appropriate toolpath and speeds and feeds. Uh, obviously, a stiffer machine, the better, but I think we can all agree that Haas's smallest, lightest mill probably isn't all that stiff. Uh, so, um, as long as you have an appropriate toolpath, you can you can do a lot with that. Um, case in point, let me call out a tool. Uh, so, a lot of the hard milling I do is on prismatic t-shirts, not like a 3D mold surface. And to pull that off, I use these cutters from Mitsubishi, which just having a replaceable blade on the bottom yeah. of the shank. And so you're only cutting like the bottom one millimeter with it. And it takes a very long time to generate a feature. But the result is you have extremely low cutting pressure because you have so little flute engagement. And that's how the machine is light duty as the Haas. It also it looks like
0: that tool part. is very stiff because there's no flutes running up it.
1: Correct, and you have a solid core. You know, it's not fluted out literally, reducing that's the pretty cool So, but like even my even my my standard solid carbide for hard milling, if you look at them, they're all very short flute lengths with a reduced neck, and that that helps as well. Like you can see, it's only about six millimeters of flute. So very, very seldom do I use an end mill like this where it's full length glue.
0: So when you go into mill on a, on a very hard material, would it be correct to say that um, the – let me let me put it a different way. Sometimes when we go into mill and we try to take too fine of a cut, we end up rubbing um, and not really cutting, which if we're doing aluminum, it, you know – no, no harm, no foul. But if you're working on a very hard material, I would imagine that that could cause more problems. Do you? Yeah, situation you want to
1: avoid. It will kind of brinle the surface of the material you're cutting, and so like those holes I was thread cutting, you don't really want to go back in and chase the hole open another foul. That could be really rough on rindle tool life. Uh, and so you want to have some way of measuring tool diameter before you enter the cut because if, if you thread mill a hole and it doesn't quite go gauge and you have to go in and take another thou and then another thou you you greatly reduce the, the lifespan of that tool by taking those whisper passes out uh, and so yeah you, you try go, to get in, get out first go.
0: <laughs> pretty cool um, if anybody has a question for Adam, uh, you can could, you could pop it in the question box here, and we'll see if we can't um, get something going. Um, so you're still on, on track to make your Monday shipment?
1: Uh, might be a Tuesday. No big deal, but I, I, I like the end of the month. as like a, uh, a gate, so to speak, to get jobs out of the shop. Um, it kind of keeps me on track personally. Uh, I don't think the customer's too worried. Um, you know, they have a multi-year timeline on this, so a couple days is is going to stress them out. But, uh, so, so one of the guys asks, uh,
0: thread mill, full depth in one pass?
1: No, no, no. Uh, same deal as the milling cutter. You start at the top, and you're, you're going down one pitch at a time. Uh,
0: I, I think he, I think what he means is do you go f- full depth?
1: Oh, yeah. on, on radial. Uh,
0: okay. Yeah, so you're, 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 yeah. you're going down with a single point thread mill. Uh, okay. And In and reverse, you do it once. M-O-4. Okay. That, I think that was the question. Yep. And One I think shot. that was the answer. Excellent.
1: Um, that's an allied product that is that guy you can see the, the threads are backwards yep. or the, the flutes are backwards pretty cool so.
0: let's see the, another question popped in yep. um, Bart asks what inserts do you use for hard turning? That was easy.
1: <laughs> there you okay. go. Got so all uh and grinders.
0: Question asked right. and answered. We'll cover uh, so next week we're going to have uh Marv grow on and I'm sure he'll be happy to talk about um materials also, but he also doesn't turn. He he he's only a mill guy. That's that's pretty funny. Um let's see. Somebody somebody had who was it that had a uh no, that wasn't hard turning. That was soft steel. Somebody talked about inserts on Instagram this week, but that was soft uh, that was soft stuff. Well, pretty cool. Um, what else do we need to know? Oh, could you show your your other machine, your other mill? Just just give us a quick uh, eyeball full of that. That's a super special machine, isn't it?
1: Uh yeah. So that's the Morisaki. Uh, not currently powered up, but it is a hard milling mill, and this magnet is actually bigger than the Travels. It's got 150 millimeter square travel, and that's HSK32 taper, and that is a, I believe, half-millimeter end mill in there right now. That was from the last job I did on it, which was in <laughs> copper, and there's still a little copper on the magnet from that. it's Yeah, not a very big machine, but uh, 40,000 RPM spindle. And uh, it usually runs about 50 hours a week. So I don't like turning it on for one or two jobs. It has a pretty lengthy warm-up procedure. And, you know, if I'm just doing some Sunday work... So uh,
0: Brent asks, did he say he machines 90
1: RC? Yeah, yeah, Thompson Carbide... Um, actually, I keep the first piece of tungsten carbide I ever machined around. <laughs> There's a broken end mill I grabbed. I got a demo union tool cutter, and I just put a little 3D profile on it real quick. That's so cool. Um, but yeah. So, we do that. I started using, when I started doing that years ago, I was using Union Tool, which does a... Uh, uh, diamond coated carbide tool, but recently I've been more and more using the 6C tool, which is a a piece of uh, PVD diamond or uh, PCD diamond brazed onto a carbide shank, and uh, you get tremendous tool life, and on top of that, um, they have a lot more flutes uh, because. They don't have to worry about thick coating. They can get these really, really tight flute spacings. Like, a little two millimeter, I think, has 15 flutes. So, wow. it almost looks like it's the I bet they don't give those away. <laughs> and they don't. So, they're about $400 a, a cutter. So, when I do the, the carbide milling, uh, I have a very, very high hourly rate. To, you have to. To justify that, but. Um, sometimes it still makes sense for the customers versus sending it to RAM EDM. Um, so, uh, it's, it's very specialized though. And it, it, sometimes I'm approached with projects and there's, there's just not enough money in the part to make it make yep. sense.
0: One of the guys is asking, uh, when is the next Precision Microcast?
1: Oh, uh, we've actually recorded it. Um, but Josh is now taking up the editing and his kerns do any day now, and uh, so I think that's kind of sucking the air out of the room, so to speak. And uh, okay, exactly well, we'll we'll be
0: patient. We, I, I know that everybody on this uh, on this live listens to the Precision Microcast, or should, and uh, I know I'm looking forward to it.
1: So, I think the next one is about tool rooms and tool rooms. So Josh, uh, he, he's starting to like tool room work more and more.
0: So. Pretty cool. Uh, well, uh, does anybody else have a question for Adam? Because he's, he's, uh, he's on the clock here, people. All right. Well, unless something pops in, I'm going to say thanks for uh, joining us today. Okay. We'll see you right. next, uh-huh. uh, next week. Thank you, Adam. So that was Adam the Machinist. If you don't follow him, you should. Oh, you just, just missed them. We'll get him next week. Anyway, uh, if you're just joining us because you saw, because you follow Adam and you came over here, uh, <laughs> uh, this is, uh, I'm Spencer Webb and with Kinetic Precision, and uh, we do this every Sunday. At 1 o'clock Eastern, 18 Zulu, and we're trying to get into the habit of having a guest every week who is um, an expert and has something to teach us. So thanks to Adam for for helping us out. So we usually go to um, about now, somewhere between now and the top of the hour, we wrap it up. So if anybody has any questions, uh, you know, put them in the question box or put them in the chat if you don't know what the question box is um glad you enjoyed it sir thank you five-star review nice appreciate it um in other in other recent news we we just got some of these um these new norton sg wheels which i think i've shown before but uh I got the three-quarter inch wide for flat grinding, and I'm looking forward to getting that sorted out. Uh, Conjet reports that our new shirts are almost ready on the the store, so we should be able to have those before your head hits the pillow tonight. Um, And I think I'm out of news from uh, Kinetic Precision. I'm going to go, I think, clean up after a couple of days of of, uh, work in the shop. Can uh PFG stones are in stock? Hey, octane. Oh, we do have a question just popped in. Let's see. Huh. Okay, so can a Jones and Shipman surface grinder be wired up to run off single phase? So the short answer to that is um, I believe the answer is no. Have you um... – hey, Mary Tools, welcome aboard. I changed my T-shirt, so sorry. Uh, so uh, if your Jones and Shipman surface grinder has three-phase motors in it, which i 99% sure it does, you're going to need a um, either a VFD or a converter. A VFD is basically a, uh, a converter for one motor. It gets permanently wired to one motor. And they're awesome, and it isn't very expensive. So you're going to need to get a VFD, uh, and it will give you some advantages. It will give you a soft start. It'll give you a soft shutdown. It'll give you protection, overcurrent protection. It'll, it'll do a whole bunch of things, and it will not cost a ton of money. So look, go look at the, uh, the data plate on your motor, take a picture of it and it will tell you the horsepower and then go get yourself an appropriately sized VFD for that horsepower and you will not be sorry. I use, um, Tico VFDs in about three different places here. Also what's the last one that Adam just gave me the other Adam, uh, Commander, I forget the the brand, but anyway, VFDs are the way to go. Let's see, we have another question. Uh, Alexander wants a shop tour. Um, maybe, uh, we may may have to wait on that for the full shop tour. Uh, but I'll see what I could do you were going to go find another three phase but a vfd sounds the way to go. Yeah, so you know what? Let's do a quick let's do a quick combo of of a vfd uh, a vfd visit and shop tour. So let me take you down to the bridge port and show you what I'm talking about. So this is Commander SK. Thank you Adam. Yeah, so the other vfd I'll show you that too. So here's a quick, here's a quick uh, VFD tour. So this is my Bridgeport and uh, I don't have the shaper. So I just put a plate on the back. Um, and there is a Tico MA7200, Mike Alpha 7200 running the Bridgeport. Now, the reason I like this one is it's in a, I think they call this a NEMA 4 case. Uh, so it's pretty chip proof. Uh, and that, that guy runs, runs the bridge port. And then I just built this little, uh, control box. So I have a forward and reverse motor and I have an e-stop. Um, and then that just runs its logic signals over to the, the VFD. And then there's a power switch, which feeds the VFD. This is a very hot setup. Uh, so you're getting your shop tour, dude. Uh, this is the uh Sharp VMC. <laughs> Conjet says if I keep answering questions, uh, Conjet may be able to get shirts done while we're live. So, okay, great. So, here's um, here's the Sharp, and you see the blue box in the corner right there? That's a 10 horsepower uh, phase perfect converter. So, this, this guy has a dedicated converter for him it's not 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 a vfd solution Uh, let's go over to let's go over to another example Uh, so continuing on the shop tour here um that's a haas tl1 and the haas tl1 has a vfd built in uh which is pretty neat so i think the haas tl1 runs off of uh single phase Uh, Yeah, ConJet, press on um, if you can do it. Um, Then, over here, we have the Okamoto. Now, the Okamoto runs on three-phase. So, if you come around the corner here, you'll see that we have a uh, this is very interesting. This is a 200-volt transformer. So, it it goes from either 460 or 230, and it converts to 200 volts AC three-phase. Um, and the reason that's important is that that's 200 volts AC is what they have in Japan. So that's why the Okamoto requires 200 volts. So we have a converter here that goes 230 single-phase to 230 three-phase, goes into the transformer 233 phase comes out 200 three phase and it feeds the okamoto so that's that's the answer to that question so I think um, I think you basically got the the, the major machine tour um, any chance we get an opportunity to run uh, a converter for a three-phase machine we run the converter uh, but we do have two two 10-horsepower um, phase converters. Uh, you've, you've seen both of them. And then we use VFDs where we have to, oh, I missed one of the VFDs, I'm not going back for it. But we have another VFD on the bandsaw. The bandsaw is a work in progress because uh, we're switching over to its own VFD. So that was a lot of, uh, a lot of answers to, uh, to a simple question. Uh gentleman uh, who sent the request to be in my live video, I don't know who you are. So the answer is no. Uh, but thanks for being here. Um, let's see. I'm just checking to see if I missed any questions. Do you always warm lunch plates or just for Instagram? Oh, you mean... <laughs> Did you see the rack of, uh, of trays? Is that what you're talking about? funny guy okay i'm trying to make sure i got all your questions yes vfd big fan of, of vfds okay no lunch plates on the stove oh you mean the 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 heat treating oven <laughs> You guys are way ahead of me. Okay, so look, it's a uh, 156, so we're going to wrap this up. Um, if you guys want T-shirts, we don't make—we really don't make any money from it. I think we make—we we make a tiny itty-bitty margin. Uh, they will be up on the store today. Oh, here's a good question. Let me answer this question. This is going to be the last question for the day. Uh, Fad Radcater says, would you have one large converter versus several small ones? So uh, that's a real question of planning. If I I was planning a shop and I wired the shop for three phase and put in one big converter, that'd be fine. I think I would go that way. The reason I have two converters, two 10-horsepower converters, is the first one was dedicated to the sharp. Um, <laughs> keep going, Conjet. Uh, we have faith in you. Um, the first converter was dedicated to the sharp, which has which is a ten horsepower machine. When I got the when I got my first grinder. Was a Harrig six twelve. The Harrig, I I put a VFD on it, and that is owned by Ducky, who is I think in in the uh, chat today, um, and that worked out awesomely well. And the beauty of a VFD on a grinder is you can have a very slow wheel startup and a very slow wheel deceleration, which means you don't you don't disturb The wheel on the hub because one of the big errors in putting hubs on wheels is not cranking down uh, the nut hard enough and if the wheel shifts on the hub you're toast you lost your true you lost your balance so the vfd is nice because it's a very slow ramp up you know the okamoto when i start that wheel up it takes 30 seconds before it's up to speed so there's very light acceleration on the wheel. So I put a VFD on the Harrig, Then I sold the Harrig to Ducky, and then I bought the Brown and Sharp. The Brown and Sharp um, did not have a – it was three-phase. So I ended up finding – right around the same time frame, I found a second phase-perfect converter that was a twin to my first one. So that converter went – here in the grinding department and it ran the, um, oh, hang on Conjet, just just stand by, I'll, I'll add you in a second. Um, it ran the brown and sharp the whole time I had the brown and sharp. Uh, and then when the ok- Okamoto came in, the Okamoto had not only the converter, but now the Okamoto had its transformer. So it got kind of crazy over there. My plan is to stack The converter on top of the transformer just to save a little floor space. Haven't done that yet. It's in the queue. Okay, you ready, uh, Conjet? I think I answered your question, Fed Radcater. Conjet says, hello. Let's see if this works. Please stand by for our art director, Conjet.
2: All right, let's see how this works. <laughs> forgive You are Forgive the fact Forgive the fact that I am in fact in a college dorm room and this is uh this is difficult. But hey, you can see my face. Hi. I I'm, I'm the t-shirt person. <laughs> um so I figured that the best way to do t-shirts and have these happen live is if we come up with some funny descriptors in the description of the t-shirt listings together because we have we have some pretty great ones already so um yeah uh we have the the polos are ready to go and the heavyweights are ready to go so whichever ones you want you have the uh final say um but hi felix some of my followers are joining this is my dad. So if you guys haven't met my dad, that's my dad. He's great. We're working on making so t-shirts. We, we usually wrap
0: up around now, so um, we don't want to go too long.
2: Yeah, but if anybody's got any suggestions for funny t-shirt descriptors uh, related to either machining or things lighting on fire, you can
0: send, the, send them to me. For it. And we'll take... <laughs>
2: <laughs> um but yeah so uh, did, did you get well, it well i don't know button. if we
0: uh, you, you did everything you did all the, the space and adjusted. everything uh yeah i think so yep. what about what about ship station ship station taken care all of? right uh as far I'll
2: I'll as push I'm the aware, button if it doesn't work we'll fix it later
0: Felix, like we are arts. All right. Uh, uh, Felix is absolutely
2: right. An artsist. I am, start, in fact, start. an artisanist. Grind and burn shirts.
0: So, uh, I love that. Welcome to the very first uh, Venn diagram where art intersects with uh, grinding. <laughs>
2: Is uh, an hour of your time an hour available? billable expense? time? <laughs> I don't billable. know, either Listen, of us.
0: <laughs> first rule of being self-employed, right. everything is billable.
2: Noted. <laughs> Let's see. If you refresh your page on the KP store, you should see there are now four more shirts that you can go buy. Uh, we have light uh, t shirts, like light colored t shirts. We have lightweight t shirts. Um, we have dark colored t shirts, both polo and heavyweight. Um, and they all say okay. get class, class. So you
0: can get there. So, you can, yeah. you know, the easy way to get there is go to pfg.gg, which is the PFG Stones info page, and then just go to the purchase link and you'll see the, the new t shirts. I'm excited because I need more t shirts.
2: You always need more t-shirts. You have well, so many thank you, t-shirts, congette. you I appreciate need more.
0: your efforts.
2: Thank you for my friends who joined the live well, randomly welcome, just because I showed of up. Welcome all you
0: artists. Hi. I mean, in the end, we're all artists, aren't we? I mean, aren't we?
2: And uh, Well, I mean, it was your idea yeah. to have safety and books. if you don't have safety flip-flops, you can
0: get them on the uh, the Kinetic Precision store.
2: Safety flip flops to throw at people's heads when they break OSHA violations.
0: Okay. So uh whatever did you do it? Okay. So I think we can wrap it. Good job. Thank you very much. I asked Panjette to do this like this this morning, just before lunch. Uh it was kinda like pulling the pin on a grenade and running. Uh thanks everybody for joining. Uh we had a fun time. Uh, thank you very much to uh, Adam Demuth for joining us as our guest. He was awesome, and uh, that was a lot of fun, too. Next week, we have Marv grow from Cairn uh, joining us, and that should also be a good time. We don't know if he will be sober or not. I told him it's completely up to him. Um, I mean, when you talk about precision machining, it's always up to the operator, isn't it? Isn't it? All right. Uh, thank you. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll see you guys next week. Peace.
2: Bye-bye.